0: Hey, this is Steve with Life Worth Living. Did you know that there's seven levels of victory for a Christian? Today, we'll cover levels four and five. And let me tell you what, this stuff has been life-changing for me. How would you like to know that when you pray, God is going to hear you and answer you? That's level four victory. And it can happen as you learn what God wants. Because if you and God want the same thing, you're going to be super confident when you pray. How would you like to kick that stubborn attitude or habit or addiction? Well, the Bible shows how to do this through level five victory. This level is something most Christians never reach, but you can be the exception through a lifestyle of empowered, joyful repentance. I can't wait to share this with you. So let's jump in. Let me tell you what, this, this, these thoughts, these truths that God is is helping me with, and hopefully helping you with, they're changing my life. I'm serious, they're they're helping me to recognize certain things and confirm certain things that I, I, I wasn't aware of, I didn't see, and, and now I'm beginning to see their importance. But let's just summarize very quickly, uh... from uh... from last sunday we covered the first three levels of victory and let me just share with you again what they were very quickly in first john five which is where we find these seven levels of victory the first one is found in first john five verse four that says for everyone born of god is victorious and overcomes the world who is it that overcomes the world Those that are born of God. So level one victory begins when you're born again. Uh, Now, the scriptures uh, show that this is not just a one-time thing. You're not born again once. No, it's a lifestyle of being born again. And if being born again is a lifestyle, then it's also a lifestyle of victory. To be born again is to be victorious. That's what the scripture is telling us. Not just on the day that you discovered Jesus or that Jesus discovered you, but every day of your life you're being born again. Therefore, every day of your life you're victorious. What is born again? Well, it's entering into that new spiritual life where Jesus not only saves you, but he becomes your Lord he becomes your boss. He becomes your guide. He becomes your master. And so being born uh, again is to be born of the spirit. Remember, we're born. Why, why is it born again? Well, it's because you're born of the flesh. You're born as a baby, but your spirit is dead. Your spirit is somewhat, call it non-existent. But then the Holy Spirit gives new birth to your spirit, and you're born again, and you enter into a new dimension where you become aware of God and His love for you. And you realize that He has a purpose and a plan for your life. And all of a sudden, you're able to follow Jesus when before you couldn't follow Jesus if you wanted to. And so if you've been a Christian for a while, a lot of folks do this, you know, you get to be a Christian and you, you kind of lose your luster for, for serving God and, and you might fall into a, a, a spiritual funk, so to speak, and, and you think back on your initial enthusiasm and you wish you could go back to those first days when you first got to know Jesus. And what I mentioned last week is stop doing that. God has six more levels of victory for you. Stop looking back and start looking up to levels 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. So let's look at, uh, as we've mentioned, level 2 victory is found in First John 5, verses 5, 7, and 8, to be very specific. In verse 5 it says, Who is the one who is victorious and has overcome the world? It is the one who believes and recognizes the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. In verse seven, it says, for there are three witnesses of what? That Jesus is the son of God. There's three witnesses. There's three testimonies. Verse eight, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are in agreement. And in the amplified version, which is what I'm going to be reading from this whole time, it says their testimony is perfectly consistent. The testimony of water blood, and the Spirit. Level 2 victory is when you start accepting God's testimony, in other words, what He tells you, over what other people tell you, over what their experiences tell you, and over even what you think yourself. In other words, you start listening to God more than anyone or anything else. Are you going to listen to your own fears? Are you going to listen to God's promises? Are you going to listen to your own distractions? Or are you going to follow God's direction? Are you going to listen to your temptations? Or are you going to leap out through God's ex- escape plan? Are you going to rehearse your deficiencies and limitations over and over again? Or are you going to listen to God's grace, forgiveness, and His power? We need level two victory, and we need to start listening to God as opposed to anything else. But Let's, let's, re, uh, uh, let's revisit also level three. In verses 11 and 12 of 1 John 5, it says, And the testimony is this, God has given us eternal life. We already possess it. And this life in His Son results in our spiritual completeness and eternal companionship with Him. He who has the Son, by accepting Him as Lord and Savior, has life. And that is eternal life. He who does not have the Son of God, by personal faith, does not have life. And the victory, the level three victory that we discussed last Sunday, happens when you realize eternal life makes you fearless. You have eternal life. No one can kill you. No one can hurt you. Can you die physically? Yes, but you have eternal life. You will live on forever. Now, if that doesn't make you fearless, I don't know what else can. Why are you so scared if you're a Christian and you have eternal life? Enter into a state of fearlessness through your eternal life. Well, now we get to move on to a couple of other levels of victory that are described here in 1 John 5. We're gonna start off in verse 13, and let me read it to you as we consider level four victory. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, which represents all that Jesus Christ is and does, so that you will know with settled and absolute knowledge that you already have eternal life. And this is the remarkable degree of confidence, that's a victorious word, by the way, confidence, which we have as believers and are entitled to and have done before Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us, and if we know for a fact, as indeed we do, that He hears and listens to us in whatever we ask, we also know with settled and absolute knowledge that we have granted to us the request that we have asked from Him. What is level four victory? It's when you finally know God's will, and that gives you an unshakable confidence when you pray. There is nothing like victorious prayer. Assured prayer. Not a prayer where you're trying to convince yourself or persuade yourself about something about God. No, you pray because you know. That's level four victory. It is incredible to know positively what God wants. It's incredible. Instead of having these uh, very weak prayers that I've prayed many times, Lord, if it's your will, do thus and so, or do that and the other, No. Can you imagine the unbelievable victory when you finally pray confidently, knowing positively that you're praying in the same direction of God's will, and that your prayers are absolutely positively going to be answered? That's level four victory. Don't you wish That you could pray for healing and know for sure that God is going to answer you? Or don't you wish that you could pray for his rich provision in your life and be completely confident that uh, he's not going to let you down? This is level four victory. When you have that high level of confidence because you know what God wants, you know God's will. So the big question here then is, how can I know God's will? How can you know God's will? Well, the Bible definitely clues us in and tells us several things. But let me, let me share a couple of scriptures here with you. In Ephesians 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So maybe the first step to knowing God's will is to stop being foolish. Well, then you ask, and I ask myself, well, what is foolishness? Because I want to avoid it. Well, foolishness is being self-led. It's doing what you think is best, not necessarily what God thinks is best. Well, the opposite of foolishness is what? It's wisdom. Well, what is wisdom? It's being spirit-led. If you were spirit-led, you will know God's will. So this verse that says, don't be foolish anymore, but understand the Lord's will, it's saying, stop being self-led and start being spirit-led, and you will begin to know God's will for your life and even for the, will, for the lives of those that you care for and that you love because you're praying for them as well. Colossians 1.9 gives us another view into how we might begin to know God's will. For this reason... Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with a knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's in Colossians one nine. So what does this tell us? It says, hey, just go ahead and ask God to fill you with a knowledge of His will, and He's going to do it. He's going to do it. Pretty easy stuff so far. 1 John 2.17 says, The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. That's in 1 John 2, 17. And then in James 1, verse 22, it says, Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So you say, well, I don't know where to start. Well, what these scriptures tell us is, start with what you know, you know? Do we know it's bad to murder people? Well, let's not do that. Do we know it's bad to cheat in our marriage? Well, that's the will of God. Let's stop doing that. Start with what you know. Everybody knows something about God's requirements and His will and what He wants and doesn't want. Does He want you to spend quality time with your family? Of course He does. Well, then start doing it. Does He want you to work with your own two hands and earn a living so that you can support you and your family then start doing it that's the will of God start with what you know also you can just simply look into God's word and you will begin to discover God's will you'll discover what pleases God what God wants and then you can start praying in that same direction but in order to know God's will you got to start doing what you know to do do it now and don't wait, and you'll discover more and more of what God's will is. But then there's Romans 12 too, which seems to be a scripture that we come back to over and over again. I know I have for years, I come back to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. But today, let's just look at verse 2. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Don't conform, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You'll be able to. Well, that's that's where we're at. A lot of times we're not able to know God's will. Why? Because we conform to the pattern of this world. Instead of allowing our minds to be Transformed, And we'll get into a little bit more of that in just a second. But look at how these scriptures instruct us so that we can have this higher level of victory of knowing God's will and praying victoriously, confidently. Stop being foolish and start being spirit led. Ask God to fill you with a knowledge of his will. Read the Bible and find out what God wants and practice that part of God's will that you already know about. And then, don't conform, but be transformed. So you ask yourself, Steve, tell me, how can I begin to be transformed? I want that. I don't want to conform anymore. Well, all you have to do is begin to look at levels 1, 2, and 3 of victory, and you will begin to see how you can begin to be transformed. First of all, you're born again by accepting Jesus as Lord of your life, not just as your Savior and then you get to level two victory and you begin to accept God's testimony. You're not a loser. <laughs> You're not a failure. Your life is not over. God has plans for you. Listen to God's testimony instead of looking at other people's failed experiences or, or some memory uh, when you were a child when somebody said something negative about you. Turn those things off. And listen to the Lord's testimony about who you are in Him. That's going to transform you. And then certainly you're transformed when you realize your eternal life makes you a fearless human being. You don't have to fear anymore. You don't need any phobias, panic attacks, paranoia. None of these things need to be affecting you anymore because you have eternal life so that's how you begin the transformation process you begin these levels one two and three of victory that we've already gone over those things are pretty transformative let me tell you but let's look at level five victory and that's where we're going to park the rest of our time today in verse 16 going back to first john five if anyone and again i'm reading for the amplified version of the bible if anyone sees his brother committing a sin that does not lead to death, wow, that's curious, a sin that doesn't lead to death, he will pray and ask on the believer's behalf and God will give him life to those whose who sin is not leading to death. There it is again. Are you telling me that there's sin that doesn't lead to death? Well, apparently there is. There is sin that does lead to death. I do not say that one should pray for that kind of sin. All wrongdoing is sin. So the author of this book makes it very clear. Sin is bad. All wrongdoing is sin. And there is sin that does not lead to death. One can repent of it and be forgiven. Let me go back and reread one statement here in verse 16. It says, there is sin a sin that leads to death. But remember, John who's writing this book was speaking to Christians. So there is a sin that Christians can commit that leads to death. I'm not going to get into that today. All I'm going to focus on is all the other sins that do not lead to death for a Christian. <laughs> That's where I'm going to focus today. Let your curiosity study that scripture, though. You might find some intriguing and interesting things. And at some point in the future, we will cover it. But level five victory comes when you realize your sin as a Christian does not lead to death. That's level five victory. And that's explosive victory, for lack of a better term. Let me read. Let me address you as Christians. Christians, when you sin... This sin doesn't lead you to the penalty of death, so stop condemning yourself and heaping self-abuse and guilt and shame on yourselves. Your sin does not lead to death. God forgives you, why can't you forgive yourself? First John 1, 7 says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. What does it take for us to have this continual purification from sin in our life? Just to walk with Jesus, to be a Christian, to have Him in our hearts, to acknowledge His love for us, to love Him back. And that blood of Jesus will continually purify us from the sins that we commit through our ordinary, common lives. 1 John 2.1 says, My dear children, I write this to you. Isn't Isn't that endearing, by the way, my dear children? I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. There are Christians who sadly, and I've experienced this myself, Christians who sadly think their sin has caused God to be displeased with them or that they have committed the unpardonable sin, a sin that leads to eternal death. But let me tell you what. If you are a Christian, your sin does not lead you to death, condemnation, shame, or guilt. God has spread his cloak of grace over you by the blood of Jesus. So move on to five, level five victory once and for all and stop trying to earn your way into heaven. God already paid the price by offering his son Jesus to die for your sins Sins and forgiveness is yours. Forgiveness is yours. I love this verse. This is a turnaround verse when I stumbled across grace a year or two ago. Romans 6.14, it says, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. They're in Romans 6.14. You're not under the law. You're under grace. What is this verse saying? When you get to level 5 victory, sin, you realize, sin is no longer your master, because you have learned and understood God's grace for your life. He is personally making sure that your sin doesn't lead you to death. Isn't that incredible? The God of the universe is making sure, personally, that your sin doesn't lead you to death. This is one of the most explosive truths in the world. In Paul's time, it turned the Jewish religion upside down and on its ear. Its power, fueled missionary outreaches all over the world in a matter of few decades. It burst into the scene in Martin Luther's day. And and, and let me tell you, it's going to be what attracts fiery revival to our city. You can flip this verse around to better understand it. If you are struggling with the same sin over and over as a Christian, you can't kick a habit, you can't kick an addiction or an attitude, and you can't seem to beat it, you need level five victory. You need God's grace in your life because you think, the reason why you don't have the victory, you think Jesus is throwing the law in your face and condemning you. You don't know my Jesus, he doesn't do that. (laughs) But as soon as you accept God's grace and acknowledge that because of Jesus' sacrifice for you, your sin no longer leads you to death, and you repent of your sin, you will will be free from that nasty sin that plagues you. It's very important, something that I want to make sure we all understand. My repentance doesn't cleanse me. Jesus' blood is what cleanses me. Did you get that? It's very important to understand that. Religion tells you that your repentance cleanses you. But God tells us that Jesus' blood cleanses us. Now, don't get me wrong. Repentance is important. The Bible is very explicit that I need to repent of my sins. But that repentance is not what cleanses me. It's not what forgives me. God is the one that cleanses me and forgives me. Look at this. Let's let's address repentance here for a bit. Acts 3.19 says, Repent, then, and turn to God. Oh, what a picture is that. Repentance is simply turning away from your selfish sin, my selfish sin, and turning towards God. So it says, Repent, then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. So, again, I want to make very sure we understand repentance doesn't purify us from sin, Jesus' blood, but repentance plays a part in the purification process. See, repentance trusts that Jesus' blood will do what it claims to do. Let me read that again to you. Repentance trusts that Jesus' blood will do what it claims to do. Lamentations 3 verses 23, 22 through 23 says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed because his compassions fail not. Do you trust the blood of Jesus? That it forgives you? Do you trust the sacrifice that Jesus paid on your behalf? Repentance is just simply acknowledging that Jesus paid the price and that's all you need. You don't need anything else. So let's consider an aspect of repentance that might be really overlooked. I think it's overlooked because I've overlooked it most of my life. Tim Keller, I'm going to quote him here, says that Martin Luther opened the Reformation by nailing the 95 Thesis to the door of the Wittenberg C- Cathedral. The very first thesis was, Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed that our entire life, the entire life of believers, to be one of repentance. The Lord, let me read that again. Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Remember, repentance just simply acknowledges God's grace is enough for me. I don't need anything else. Repentance is just acknowledging God's grace is all I need. I don't need anything else. So here's my point about repentance. Repentance is not a ritual. It's a lifestyle. It's not an event, although it can be. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of living. You could boil it down to this statement. Repentance is far more than an act. My life is repentance. (laughs) That's what Martin Luther said. Your life is repentance. Your life is repentance. That has absolutely revolutionized my life as I've come to realize my life is repentance. It's a series of acknowledgments, a series of enlightenments of, of my need for God's grace. In fact, repentance is simply my humble response to God's wonderful grace. So is repentance always, I'm sorry, I'm wrong, I'm bad, I'm worthless? No, there might be an acknowledgement, and there should be an acknowledgement of wrong, but that becomes a ritual and not the way that God intended repentance to work. Repentance is a lifelong decision to turn away from selfish sin every morning. You wake up, you say, God, I'm turning away from selfish sin this morning, and I'm turning to your son, Jesus. That's repentance right there. And that decision throughout the day to just live that way, turning away and turning toward every day, making that decision over and over again. That's a lifestyle of repentance. Now, here's here's something for you to consider. Repentance is empowered, joyful action. Repentance is empowered, joyful action. First of all, you can't repent without the drawing of the Holy Spirit. Anybody that's trying to do it on their own has already got it wrong. (laughs) We need the Holy Spirit to draw us into repentance. So it's empowered. But secondly, it's joyful. Thirdly, it's action. And let me give you a super cool example in Luke 19 of a man named Zacchaeus. Jesus entered, I'm going to read from Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and very wealthy. And he was wealthy because he was a shyster, by the way. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore tree, which, by the way, a sycamore fig tree is very short. So it wasn't like he was very high above Jesus. He was probably almost nose to nose and face to face when Jesus came by. Um, So he climbed up the sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up. In other words, he's probably just face to face with Zacchaeus. And he said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Do you see that? repentance is gladness. It's joy. It's a thrill. It's exciting. It's not something that beats you down. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be a guest of a sinner. And they were talking about Jesus. He's gone to be a guest of the sinner. Let me tell you what, that's what God's grace is, is when he's a guest of a sinner like you, like me. He's been a guest in our life when we didn't even want him. Sometimes an uninvited guest. He comes, walks in our life, sits down on our couch, and starts chatting with us. And we're like, Where did you come from? I didn't invite you in. But that's God's grace. He's a guest of a sinner. In verse 8, Zacchaeus stood up in front of everybody. He stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord! Here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. Look what Jesus says in verse 9. Jesus says to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. That's the grace of God. He's come after us when we didn't deserve him. And he stuck with us even when we still didn't deserve him. But let's look at Zacchaeus. First of all, he was glad, right? I already mentioned that. Repentance produces joy. If you're not joyful in the midst of your repentance, you really need to question your repentance. I, I really don't think it's repentance because repentance produces immense joy. Romans fourteen seventeen says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's in Romans 14, 17. Look at Zacchaeus' declaration. It wasn't, I hate myself, I'm a failure, I'm pathetic, I've done so many horrible wrong things, although he did admit that he'd done wrong things because he was turning around all the while feeling shunned by God, that's not repentance. Although we know in 1 John 1, 9, it says we do need to confess our sins. And in essence, Zacchaeus was confessing, but instead of focusing exclusively on the confession, you need to focus on what you're going to do different. That's the declaration of joy. Look, God, I know I messed up, but I'm going to do it differently from now on, and that makes me so happy. So it says in 1 John 1, 9, I'll finish it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all righteousness. It was an empowered admission by Zacchaeus. He stood up in front of everybody. He talked to Jesus. He didn't dwell on his failure. He dwelled on his change. And he, and you can do the same thing with Jesus' help. So... You might be in an extreme situation. You could you could say, look, I've been sleeping around and cheating on my wife or my husband, but you know what? From now on, I'm going to change. I'm not going to do it anymore. That's joyful repentance. You could say, I've been taking drugs for years, but now I'm going to let Jesus be my addiction. That's a joyful That's joyful repentance. I've been neglecting my family, but from now on, I'm going to spend quality time and quality, quality, uh, quantity of time with them as well. That's joyful repentance. I've been lazy and playing the victim's role, but now I'm going to go out and I'm going to work. I'm going to serve. I'm going to get a job. That's joyful repentance. He turned around, Zacchaeus turned around and did the opposite of what he had been doing of being greedy and cheating people, it was big too. He said, I'm going to pay back four times what I've cheated people out of. When you make your life repentance, you're empowered to turn around and you're going to experience unbelievable happiness, joy, and fulfillment. When God's grace meets with your repentance, it's a match made in heaven. Your life is going to change. David, King David, remember of the Bible? He was a man after God's own heart, not because he did no wrong, but he recognized the wrong that he was doing, and he lived a lifestyle of repentance. So if you want to be a man or woman after God's own heart, live a lifestyle of empowered, joyful repentance. Turn away and turn towards. Now look at what happens to the believer who realizes their sin will not lead them to death. Look at what happens to these people, all right? Uh, When they practice this lifestyle of repentance that I've been describing here, let's go back to 1 John 5, verse 18, and see what happens to the person who accepts God's grace. We know with confidence that anyone born of God does not habitually sin. But he, Jesus, who was born of God, carefully keeps and protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Did you get that? When you come under God's grace and you react to his grace through your repentance, you are free from your sin. You will stop sinning. It says it here. You cease to habitually sin, you get free from the sin that's plaguing you so much. God's grace and your repentance gets you freedom. <laughs> and it's what we're all looking for. The power of sin is, condemn- is the condemnation that accompanies that sin. But when that condemnation and the penalty is removed, you are free and you stop sinning. You stop chasing that sin that you previously loved. Very few Christians make it to this level of victory. Are you listening to me? Because they think people take advantage of God's grace and and that these people run off and do whatever they feel like doing and claiming that they're under God's grace. What a shame to throw out such a high level of victory simply because you want to be God's sheriff and police God's people. Can a believer step out of God's grace and take advantage of it? Of course they can. Yes, and the first step out of God's grace is to exchange grace for legalism. What does the result of legalism sound like? Here's the question. If you're legalistic, here's the question you will grapple with. If I sin a second before I die, will I go to hell? That's what a legalistic person, that's the question that they're going to ask. Well, the answer to that is no. If you're a Christian, you're not. Why? Because Jesus' blood contemporaneously covers your sin. Amen? If you're living a life of repentance, your life is repentance, you sin, Jesus' blood immediately covers your sin, and that sin does not lead you to death. If I'm living under God's grace, Jesus' blood is all over me, He's covering me, and I don't have to worry about such things. Do we want to be careful not to take advantage of God's grace? Well, of course we do. In Romans 6.15, Paul addresses it here and in several other parts of Scripture. He says, Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. That's what he says in Romans 6.15. So, yes, we need to be careful with taking advantage of God's grace. I don't want to be one that does that. But I'm not going to throw grace out the window because grace is my only salvation for my sin. And the only way it saves me is when I do what Romans 8.1 says, accept the fact there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is sin that does not lead to death for me as a Christian. Now let me just mention, I'm done, don't worry, I'm, I'm finished here. I'm going to say two more things. But an additional side note to level 5 victory, God's grace God promises when you believe God's grace and practice the joy of repentance, the enemy can no longer touch you. Let me read it to you so that you believe it. It's back in verse 18 of 1 John 5. It says, We know with confidence anyone born of God does not habitually sin, but he, Jesus, who was born of God, carefully keeps and protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Wow. When you access this, this level of victory, level five victory, you accept God's grace through your repentance, the enemy won't touch you. <laughs> he might touch other Christians in lower levels of victory, but he's not going to touch you because you are covered by God's grace. You're covered by the blood of Jesus. He's completely protecting you by his power. So the secret to conquering sin and your life as a Christian is God's grace, period, end of story. There's no other solution. There's no other thing that will free you except for God's grace and your response to His grace through your repentant life. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Heavenly Father, for this time together. We thank you, God, for your word that's powerful, life-changing, transformational. Lord, we want to live an empowered, joyful lifestyle of repentance. Acknowledging the only thing that can free us from our sin is your grace. It's it's because of your mercies that we're not consumed. It's because of your love, your compassions for us. Lord, help us to step up into that new level of victory. Lord, help us to realize the only sheriff in town is you. (laughs) We don't need to be the police, praise God. You will take care of what needs to be taken care of. Sometimes through us, yes, we'll bring things to people's attention because the Spirit is is, is uh, prompting us to bring things up. That's not what I'm referring to. Heavenly Father, Your grace is all we need. Your grace is sufficient for us. And that's why we want to live a repentant lifestyle before You, Jesus. So right now, Lord, I pray and I challenge those that are listening to this prayer to enter into that lifestyle. Of, of, of not thinking any longer that repentance is some, uh, some ritual, that it's something that we do and it, in fact, cleanses us. Lord, no, only the blood of Jesus cleanses us. And we, our repentance trusts that your blood will, will do what it claims to do. Thank you, Heavenly Father. So right now, Lord Jesus, uh, we love you. We turn our lives o- over to you. Lord Jesus, for anybody that's listening right now that wants to open their heart to God and let Jesus come in, uh, Lord, as an invited guest in their homes, in the homes of their life, Lord Jesus. God, that you would come in, and the Bible says, Lord, that you stand at the door and knock, that when we open the door, you will come in, and we can build a relation. You will build a relationship with us, and that's what we desperately need. That's what we desperately want, Lord God. Help us to live with it.